You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Healthicity's Senior Compliance Executive, and today's guest is Christopher Chandler from Intermountain Healthcare. Welcome, Christopher. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And then Christopher's title, he's a technical manager of professional documentation and coding. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know how you ended up where you are, Christopher, and, and what you're doing now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've been uh, in the coding field for about six years now and uh, started out as a consultant where I would meet with uh, physicians of certain specialties. I specialized in general surgery and podiatry for a long time and would consult with those physicians on a one-on-one level and uh, I, I loved it. it it's, so inter- it's such interesting stuff because you get to learn a lot about the medical field, medical practices, surgeries, all that kind of stuff. And so yeah. I just kept learning and studying and loved it so much and eventually became a, a manager of the documentation and coding and work a little bit more on a system level now where I'm able to work still with physicians but then I meet with executives throughout the system and the company and try to provide uh, consultation to them that would help steer Intermountain Healthcare in the correct direction per the coding guidelines. Great. That's, that's exciting. I agree. You know, I, we all come to it from different, from different directions, and um, I found a lot of excitement when I worked, worked there as well. Much as you said, you get to meet with different people and you get to learn what advances are happening in medicine, you know, they're always improving things and innovating and, and then you get to try to help them to make sure that they're compliant and coding and getting reimbursed correctly. So it can be, it can be a lot of fun. It's an incredible field. Yeah. Well, today I wanted to pick your brain about NPP coding. Uh, great topic and I know you're an expert in it, uh, but maybe we should just start with what is a NPP and, and how can they be used? You know, some people might not know what NPP is. So what is it? NPP is a non-physician practitioner. That is what Medicare calls. They lump together a bunch of types of providers and, and call them non-physician practitioners. So a non-physician practitioner is going to be a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, certified registered nurse anesthetist, clinical nurse specialist and certified nurse midwife. That's how the OIG and Medicare uh, describes non-physician practitioners. They're called all sorts of things, though. We've got NPP, we have advanced practice clinician, APC, APP, advanced practice provider. Some still call them mid-level providers, but I think the industry is trying to go away from that name. Yeah. So... But, they're, they're called a little bit of everything right now. Yeah, but, but for Medicare purposes, it, it, NPP is probably the right term. Is that true for Medicare? For Medicare, NPP is the correct term, yes. Gotcha. So now we've kind of defined it. So tell us, how can they be used? I mean, how are they utilized in, in the flow of clinical operations? Well, as we mentioned earlier, I mean, this field is always changing, and they're developing new ways of providing care to patients. And a big, a big way that they're doing that is really pushing NPPs in the clinics and the hospitals to help alleviate the, the burden that a lot of these physicians are feeling with the amount of patient 
load that they have. So APPs will be in the clinic, uh, and a big way that we see them used in the clinic is going to be in a very collaborative manner with a physician. Uh, there are, we, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, there are incident two services, but then there are just services where the, the APP will go in and see the patient, collect the entire history from the patient, maybe do a little bit of a physical exam, go and provide that information to the physician, and then the physician will go in and provide the medical decision-making for the uh, patient, and then working with the NPP in that collaborative manner. Another big way, especially in the urgent care specialty, is to have the NPP independently practicing under the supervision of a physician. Okay. So they would have their own patient schedule. They'll see a lot of the established patients or the acute problems like laceration repairs and things like that that don't necessarily require the expertise of a physician okay. and can be treated by a well-trained NPP. Yeah. So that's, that's a way that we see it in the outpatient setting. And then in the inpatient setting, they're used even more in a collaborative manner when they are doing shared services with the physicians and working in a collaborative manner to help provide more care for the patient and spend more time with the patient. And yet the physician needs to spend less time with the patient and can see more patients that way. Yeah. So it's, it's a great, using these NVPs is a really great way to provide more access to care for patients. Yeah, you know, and on a personal note, you know, those, though this may not always be a billable service, you know, I have family members that um, are seeing a physician for kind of a semi-serious chronic condition. And we often, when we have issues that come up that don't necessarily require us to go into the office, we, we often are consulting with the NPP, uh, who then will run things by the physician if he or she thinks that's necessary. So even from like a just a telephonic type of uh, um, experience, we're starting to see more. Is that do you see that as well? Absolutely. Intermountain Healthcare right now is really pushing this product called Connect Care, where it's 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 almost like skyping with a provider, but right. it, all the services provided through Connect Care are provided by APPs. Right. APPs. Yeah, you know, and one thing that I've noticed is that physicians get very comfortable and and develop a trust level with NPPs. You know, they've been trained in that specialty as well as the physician has. And they get very comfortable, and they're almost an extension. I, I don't mean any disrespect in any way, but it can really help the physician because he or she can trust that MPP's decision making and can really save time. Absolutely. I mean, they they are physician assistants, like right. their title says. They they can learn the way the physician likes to run his or her clinic and help provide the physician's type of care. Yep. To all to more patients than the physician would on his or her own. Yeah, that's great. That's a great background and foundation for some of these next questions. Uh, maybe we can talk about you know the difference between shared services and incident two, and, and maybe we start with shared services about you know what is that and what are some pros and cons of shared services. Absolutely. So the the first difference you would want to think of is shared services is inpatient services and. Incident two is going to be outpatient services. Okay. And these are specifically for evaluation and management services. So shared service is when an NPP sees the patient and the physician also sees the patient at the same time or separately, usually it's separately, and the physician 
can bill for all of his or her own work in addition to all of the work done by the NTP. Okay. And so they would combine it all together and bill it under one level of service. And the, NP and the physician could use the NPP's documentation to help support his or her own level of service as well. It's a, it's a great way for the, the physician and the hospital to get reimbursed at the physician rate. And it's a great opportunity to provide more patient access, like we were mentioning earlier. It gets tricky, though, because there are a lot of regulations and guidelines associated with shared services. And the way I usually talk to my providers about it is, first, I ask them, are you allowed to do shared services per the guidelines? And so these are E&M services in the hospital, inpatient or outpatient setting. But it's hospital. So these are going to be your hospital inpatient, hospital outpatient, hospital observation, ER, and hospital discharge codes. And the first thing you want to know is, are the physician and the NPP employed by the same group? Now, in a smaller hospital or a standalone hospital, that's a pretty, pretty easy answer. It's usually yes. But when you get into these bigger healthcare systems and you have medical groups, it gets a little trickier. Because if the NPP is employed by the hospital, then the hospital is probably billing for the work the NPP is doing. Right. So a medical group provider should not bill for work that the hospital is already billing for. And that's, that's where a lot of this gets dicey is they want to avoid double billing the patient and yep. the insurance company. So the first thing is, are they employed by the same group? Another thing that you want to focus on are, do they both provide a substantive face-to-face -face portion of the E&M? And the way Medicare describes a substantive portion of the E&M is all or some portion of the history exam or medical decision-making. Okay. So the example I gave earlier where the... NPP goes in and gets the history and performs an exam, goes and talks to the physician, the physician comes in and provides medical decision-making, that would work as long as they both see the patient face-to-face -face and they both document the portion that they did as well. Okay. Now, just to back up a little bit, is, is shared services, that is that some Medicare term? So are we only talk or is it? First of all, and if it is, so are we only talking about Medicare um, patients or can these shared services occur, you know, maybe with a commercial payer? It is a Medicare term that a lot of commercial payers have adopted. Okay. I wouldn't go as far as to say all of them because I don't know that for sure, but many commercial payers have adopted the policy of shared services, but they watch it pretty closely and they have these intense guidelines to make sure that they are doing it correctly because if you do not meet the shared services guidelines, then the service must be billed under the NPP. And so the reason the, the payers are watching this so closely is that they don't want to pay a physician rate for work that was done by an NPP unless they meet the shared services guidelines. And and just so that some people are clear listening, the, the reimbursement rate for the exact same CPT code performed by an NPP is probably less than what if that same CPT code is reported by a physician. Is that, am I saying Correct. that Correct. Right? Well, yes. Medicare pays an NPP at 85% of what they would pay for a physician service. So same code but it's just reduced by 15% okay. for an NPP. So what are, what are some of the pros and cons then of shared services? Some of the pros are, like I mentioned earlier, the greater patient access. Right. Uh, the patient is able to have more patient care as well because 
these, these NPPs are able to spend a little more time with the patient. It's much cheaper to employ NPPs than it is to employ physicians. So you could have three NPPs working with one doctor and splitting the one doctor's patient load. So that NPP is able to give a little more time and treatment to that patient. And then the physician is able to see more patients and bill all of those at the physician rate when normally he, would have, he or she would have to cut that in half because they just don't have enough time in the day to see all those patients okay. that they need. So that's a pro. A con is it's very difficult to get correct. Yeah, uh, And because it's difficult to get correct, if you get it incorrect, then you are paid at a physician rate when you should have been paid at an NPP rate. And if you're audited, you'll end up owing that one, that 15% back. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, on that point, I've given some recent webinars about the 60-day um, the overpayment rule that... You, the the final rule there suggests that you have to be proactively looking for overpayment. So this might be an example of you can't just assume it's being done right. You have to be actively monitoring to make sure it's being done right so you're not overpaid. Correct. And if, if you are a clinic or hospital who employs a number of NPPs, then that might be a signal to payers that, hey, maybe we should watch this or maybe we yep. should look look for this. Yeah, great point. Okay, so now if you feel like we're done with shared services, you want to transition maybe to Incident 2 and compare and contrast that? Absolutely. So Incident 2, as I mentioned before, is more of an outpatient setting. Shared services on the inpatient side. So Incident 2 is outpatient E&M services. And these are when services or supplies are furnished Incident 2 of physician's professional services. So the way that incidental in this situation means it's a necessary part of the treatment but not a major part. So an example I like to give that's so easy because everyone's had this happen is a physician comes in and he or she is providing you your physical for the year. And they say, you know what, let's take your blood. And the physician's not going to take the patient's blood. Right. Their nurse or they will do that. That is an incident to service. And that's not a problem because the nurse or the MA isn't going to be, bill it can't bill for their own work. It becomes a problem when you start doing incident two services with NPPs because NPPs technically could be billing for that work. Right. So the way it looks, the way incident two is set up is a new patient comes into the clinic, the physician sees that patient and establishes a plan of care for that patient. So these are going to be your chronic condition patients a lot of the time. And in that plan of care, they will say, all right, you come back and we are going to provide these services for you and evaluate you for this each time you come back. And then every time the patient comes back on that established patient visit, the NPP would be providing that service that was detailed in the plan of care, and then it would be built under the physician because it's the physician's plan of care. The physician does not have to see the patient every visit. They can bill for it if the NPP is following that physician's plan of care. So what do you do when, let's say you have this chronic patient and they are following it, let's say, you know, four visits in a row, they're, they're following the plan of care that was established on the first visit just fine. But on the fourth visit, the patient comes in, sees the MPP, and they're there for their chronic condition that they've been treated for, but there's a new problem now. What do you do there? Right. So if there's a new problem, if you want to build that under the physician, then the physician needs to see the patient. 
one of the requirements of Incident 2 is that when the NPP is providing the services dictated in the plan of care, the physician must be supervising, have direct supervision, which means they are physically in the clinic. Okay. They don't have to be in the same, but they have to be physically in the clinic so that they can come in and see the patient if necessary, like having a new problem, or if there's a change in the, that they're if there's a change in the patient's condition and the plan of care needs to change. The problems that happen with MPPs is MPPs are licensed to provide a lot of the services that could be done without the physician. They could change the patient's medication if needed. They could order a stress test. They could, you know, they could evaluate a new problem. And so all of a sudden, if they're doing that without the involvement of the physician, it now becomes the NPP's plan of care. Yeah. So the physician can't go for it anymore. And so it's important to keep the physician involved. In fact, Medicare talks about how there needs to be continued physician involvement throughout the course of the treatment. There are no guidelines out there that specifically say how often the physician should be seeing this patient. I know a lot of healthcare systems kind of have this general every third visit rule. Okay. But there's, there's, there's a lot of gray area with incident two, and that's one of them. Yeah. Another... What is changing the care, you know, yeah. uh, that's a big one that has come across as well as if, I mean, what is considered changing the plan of care? Is it just decreasing the amount of medication? Is it, you know, and so we found, I found uh, one local Medicare carrier that stated if the physician states in his initial plan of care that the NPP can adjust medication dosage, then the NPP can do that and it's not changing the plan of care. Yeah. And, and where I suspect, where in my experience, where it becomes frustrating is making sure that like as a coding educator, you're separating for the providers the difference between their um, scope of practice and licensure and billing. So yes, NPP, you have the legal right to do all of those things. The state has licensed you. You can do these things medically within your scope of practice. But when you do it, you can now have to bill in your name at 85%, not the physician's. So it's it's trying to help them understand that those are two separate worlds, so to speak. <laughs> right. And, it, and sometimes it's hard for healthcare providers to separate the two. It is. Absolutely. They think, look, yeah. I can do it. I'm licensed. So then why won't everyone pay me that way? It just doesn't work that way. Yep. It can be a difficult conversation. Yeah, exactly. Um, kind of, you know, as we're running towards the end of our time here, can, can we talk a little bit about uh, independent practitioners? You mentioned that a little bit, that some of these NPPs, you know, they have the authority to be practicing on their own. Um, what's the best way to use NPPs in that way? Honestly, this, in my opinion, this is the best way to use NPPs, especially in the outpatient setting, because it allows the NPP to practice to their full licensure and see patients that would allow them to do that. And there is a lot less risk involved when they are practicing independently than if you're trying to and failing to do shared services or incident two. Yeah. So what it would look like is they have their own schedule. And as I mentioned earlier, this is very popular in urgent care where they, they see the patients who are coming in last minute or maybe you have uh, you've trained up your NPP to see all of your established patients or all of your follow-up post-op patients, and they manage that kind of stuff. But they end up having their own schedule, and 
people who are scheduled to meet with the NPP rather than the physician. And sometimes they'll also, for those last-minute patients who call and say, I need to see the doctor today. And they can say, well, the doctor's booked, but we do have a slot open for the NPP. Do you want to come and see the NPP? Yeah. It allows better there as well. Yeah. I think it's the way it gives more patient satisfaction. You are getting less money as a practice because everything's being billed out at 85% to Medicare and some private payers. But... It, you're also not spending as much money in payroll for a physician. You're spending significantly amount. Yeah, significant amount exactly. And, and when you talk yeah. about less money, it might be less money if you're comparing this E&M code to this E&M code. But if you don't have to interrupt the doctors, if the NP can just see their own patients and run their own schedule, they may increase their efficiency to make up for that. Um, Absolutely. So there's a difference between, you know, kind of that, service to service comparison versus now let's look at their whole day or let's look at their whole week or let's look at their whole month and now let's compare revenue to revenue. Yeah, let your NPP see all the lower level E&M patients and then that allows your physicians to see more of the new patients which usually pay higher or the higher level patients, the 99214s and 215s that will probably require the expertise of a physician anyway. Yeah. So you're allowing the physician to see more higher reimbursable patients anyway. Yeah, and it, you're absolutely right. If I'm just speaking from a compliance standpoint, that's the option I like best because it takes away some of the risk of, of doing the rule, you're not following the rules with precision. Correct. Yeah. Well, Christopher, this has been wonderful. You're obviously an expert in all of this and really appreciate your insights. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Yes, and thank you all to uh, thank you to all of our listeners for listening in to a, another episode. Uh, until next time, take care. Compliance Conversations is sponsored by Healthicity. Healthicity designs software and services that simplify compliance and auditing challenges that reduce your risk and save you money. Where others see complexity, we see simplicity. For more information, visit healthicity.com.